Welcome to the Everyday Ultra Podcast, a show designed to help you level up your training, crush your races, and ultimately become a better endurance athlete every single day. Whether you're an endurance athlete as a hobby or someone who wants to be the best in the sport, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and super excited for this episode because we're going to talk all about crew and pacer. So this is going to be everything you need to know to optimize your crew and pacer strategy when it comes to an ultra marathon, and also we're going to cover if you actually need crew or pacer. So whether you're signed up for a race and there's the option for crew and pacer and you're just maybe number one, curious if it's necessary. Number two, if you are going to go for it, how do you best optimize your crew and pacer strategy to get the best results on race day? How can you find crew or pacer for your race? And then, and then also too, if you decide not to have a crew and pacer, what do you do if you don't have a crew and pacer at the very end of this episode? So we're going to cover everything you need to know when it comes to crew or pacer in this episode. It's going to be your complete guide. And I'm utilizing my own experience of not only having crew and pacer at my race and pretty much having an awesome crew strategy at all my races, but I've also been on the other side of both crew and pacer. This year, I paced Sally McRae for Bigfoot 200 and Moab 240 this year. I paced my friend at Cocodona and crewed him earlier this year as well. I've been on the side of crewing where I've crewed Scott Treyer at Western States 100 when he was in the elite field. So I also have a lot of experience being on the other side of crew and pacer as well. So utilizing my experience and also receiving crew and giving crew and also working with athletes who are working with their own crew and pacer as a coach to help them to optimize the race day strategy. I'm giving you all of the tips you need to know to have the best crew and pacer strategy for race day. So we're going to dive into it. But before we start the episode, I want to let you know that I've officially partnered with an amazing company called Play On Relief. I've been using their products for a few months now, and I love it so much that I wanted to partner with them to let you guys in on all the amazing benefits that I get from it. Because I frequently get asked, how do you deal with muscle soreness during long runs, races, or long efforts? And the easy answer is the more that you train, the less sore that you're going to be. But let's face it, even if you train a lot, long runs and races can still hurt. So to help with my own soreness, I've been using this topical spray called Play On during my long runs and races, and it is a game changer when it comes to aches, pains, and muscle soreness because it zaps the soreness away in seconds and lasts a really, really long time. It's so easy to use too. I don't have to rub it in, so there's no mess, no stickiness, no nothing. I can't get enough of it when it comes to my muscles on long runs and races and recovery, and the best part is it's sweat resistant, so it doesn't go away when you're sweating a ton on your long runs. When you spray it on, it goes to work in seconds because it goes beyond the skin and into the muscle and joints directly where the soreness is to reduce the pain at the source. This is different than other CBD creams or Icy Hot because those things just attack the problem on the skin level and they don't actually go to the root cause of where the soreness is, unlike Play On, where that's where it does the magic. Plus, it's all natural, FDA compliant, and it's backed by over 10 years of research, so it's legit. I hate putting stuff in my body that's filled with chemicals, so that's why I like the natural mixture of Play On. And because of Play On, it helped me to battle extreme leg soreness at this year's Hobbleet 100 at mile 60, 
And it even helped my fiance with some gnarly hip pain at mile 15 of our first 50K. So I'm telling you, if you deal with aches and pains and you're looking to be less sore in your next ultra or in your long runs, you got to try out Plan. And because I love this product so much, Plan is giving you a special discount on your next order. All you need to do is use the code EverydayUltra at checkout to get a discount of 20% of your order at the link in the show notes, or you can go to directly to playonrelief.com. That's 20% off your order with code EverydayUltra at checkout out by using the link in the show notes or go to playonrelief.com to get 20% off your order. Hope you try it out so you can be less sore, keep on running strong, and play on everybody. All right, let's talk about all things crew and pacer when it comes to an ultra marathon. So before we even dive into strategies, I want to kind of talk about, you know, what is crew or pacer? Because you might be very unfamiliar. What does that exactly mean if you're kind of unfamiliar of, you know, hearing, oh, I got crew for this race or does someone want to pace me? What do those things exactly mean? Are they the same? Are they different? Let's just cover that real quick. So essentially what a crew is, a crew, think about like when, you know, NASCAR or any of those races or Formula One, when they stop at a specific point, they have like a whole pit crew team of people changing out the tires, working on the car, swapping out things. You can essentially think of crew as pretty much the same thing, but for ultra running. So think about when you go to aid stations to aid station, right? When you go to different aid stations, obviously there's tons of volunteers there who are there to help you out. They're there to help you to fill your bottles. They're there to restock your nutrition. They're there to do all that. A crew is essentially like your own personal team that is helping you out specifically and generally you only when you're out there as well. So this is a team that when you come into a point where you have your crew, they're going to be able to fill up your bottles, swap out your pack, give you the nutrition you need, work on your feet, give you some encouragement, make sure you get the change of clothes, um, give you anything you need in that moment. They're basically going to be your pit crew to get you in well stocked, well taken care of and out as as well. Crews are not only there to also give you what you need in those scenarios as well, but they're also a great tool to make your transitions at specific crew points as efficient as possible. And so a benefit of having crew over just doing it solo, and I'll talk about if that's necessary or not in a second, but the benefit of having crew over a specific, um, you know, over not having a crew is essentially that ease of transition where you can get people or where you can get yourself in and out as quick as possible. Because when it comes to just doing it self-supported, you have a drop bag, you usually got to find your drop bag, you got to take care of things yourself, you got to ch- change your shoes yourself, you got to do everything yourself. And not saying that it's something that you, you know, don't have to do, which we'll kind of talk about in a second, but um, it makes that transition a lot easier because you don't have to think about it a lot. Like the crew is almost like an extension of your brain. So you just have to focus on essentially what you need to do to finish that race. And you don't need to focus on all the logistical stuff of transitioning in and out with a crew as well. So that's generally what a crew is. Um, We'll talk about the details of crew, how many people, what do they do, all that kind of stuff as well. But like, that's what a crew is. Now a pacer So a pacer is exactly what it sounds like. It is someone who keeps you essentially on pace when it comes to racing in an ultra marathon. And they're with you side by side going through certain sections of the trail where they're allowed to essentially keep you on pace. Now, it doesn't have to really mean keep you on pace. They can just be there for moral support. They can be there to navigate for you so you don't have to think about it. They can be there to remind you to eat, to drink. There's so much more that they can do outside of just pacing, but... We'll talk about that in a second of like what the benefits are and like what you can really do to maximize that. But essentially, this is someone who is running with you on the trail in 
the actual race itself. So whereas the crew, they're only seeing you at specific crew points, the pacer is with you uh, side by side through specific points of the course, actually running with you out there. So um, we'll go into does your pacer need a crew and all that kind of stuff as well, but that's just kind of like the definition as well. But before we dive into that, I want to talk about if it's necessary. Is it necessary to have a crew or pacer when it comes to finishing an ultra marathon? The one thing to know is that really for 50k and below, they're usually aren't crew or pacers allowed. So that's like the first thing you need to look at when you're signed up for a race is, is crew and pacer actually allowed? Because there's even some races where crew or pacer isn't allowed. More times than not, pacer is usually not allowed much, much more than crew. Um, so it's always something you want to look up in your uh, the race that you're signed up for if crew or pacer is allowed. Like, and more times than not, 50K and below, usually crew or pacer isn't a thing. But 50 miles and up, there's generally at least crew, maybe pacer, not all the time. Um, and usually for a lot of like 100 mile races, like crew and pacer are usually allowed, but not all of them. And so like, you know, I know for Havilene 100, you're allowed to have both crew and pacer. For Canyons 100K, which I did this year, you're allowed to have crew, but not pacer. And so you got to make sure like those specific rules of the race are in there as well. But as you can tell, because some races don't allow you to have, you know, pacer or even crew in some races, um, is it 100% necessary to finish an ultra marathon? Absolutely not. It's not necessary. However, it is an extremely, extremely, extremely nice thing to have. And I'll tell you why. So when I did my first 100 miler, I did it completely self-supported. I had no crew. I had no pacer. And I finished the race. And I did it in sub-24 hours. And I was super happy about that. And um, But I did it with no crew or pace. Um, however, um, yeah, the 100 miles was really, really hard. Um, but what I did was on my second 100 miler at Havilene 100, I had a huge crew. I had two pacers. It was a way different environment. And let me tell you, like the difference in my morale and mentality and even just like how well my race went, went so much better with the crew and pacer. Like it was like night and day. And basically after that race, I was like, if I can do anything to get crew and pacer at all of my races, like I a hundred percent will do what I can to get those. Right. And so, um, yeah, I, I, it's a night and day thing. It's not necessary, but I saw like how much better that I not only performed, but how much higher I was from like a mental perspective because like they can be motivating and encouraging and all that kind of stuff and they take the mental burden of a way of like you having to like think through your crew transitions and like drop bags like when I was doing my first you know 100 miler like I had to go find my drop bag I had to change my own shoes I had to remember to like you know calculate in my head like what I needed to bring into like my things and things it was just like you think way too much and mental energy is just as taxing to your body as physical energy. So like when you can preserve that mental energy as much as possible. And as I kind of said before, your crane, your, your crane, your crew <laughs> combine those two words together. Accidentally, um, your crew can act as your brain essentially in those scenarios. So you don't have to expend the mental energy. They just kind of do those things. So it is not a necessary thing to have, but it's an extremely nice thing to have. It makes your race a lot, lot simpler on your brain and your mind. Um, it will increase in my opinion, if you do it the right way, it does increase your chances for success on race day for sure 
assuming you have the right crew and pacer, which I'll talk about. But I do think it's a very, very nice to have if you can get it. If you have access to crew and pacer, I highly suggest it. Um, but if you can't find crew or pacer, I don't think it's 100% necessary. And I do know some people, they want the extra challenge of being like, hey, I want to do this race without crew and pacer just to kind of go with it, right? So uh, Andrew Glaze, I mean, dude, this, this dude has done... 200 miles. He's done Cocodona without crew pacers before. Like, and so, um, and I know he does some, a lot of races without crew pacer. Um, so, and he's able to get it done and get it rocking and rolling. So, um, and I know countless other people who have done a similar thing as well. So it's not a necessary thing by any means. And if you want that extra challenge to like, you know, Hey, I want to be able to do this thing self-supported, like go ahead. I will say it will increase your chances of success. If you do have crew and pacer, assuming that they're the right people, which again, we'll talk about. Um, but I think it's a very, very nice thing to have. Now. Um, I think the next question to kind of talk about is, should I have pacer or crew when it comes to my race? If I can only have one, one thing, right? Like, let's just say I have one person and I can either utilize them as pacer or crew what would you choose in my opinion i would say having a pacer would be more beneficial than having a crew if you had to choose one or the other now ideally you can choose both right that's the ideal scenario but not always possible i would say pacer is easily the biggest bang for your buck if you can choose one or the other and here's why you're going to see your pacer a lot more out there than your crew. Your crew, I mean, depending on the race, I mean, you're probably going to see them for, you know, not not too many times, right? Like, let's just say you're running 100 miles and maybe it takes you 26 hours. Like, you might see your crew maybe at three or four or five points, depending on the race, for you know, a minimal amount of time. Whereas the pacer, they're going to actually going to be out there with you on the course from, you know, depending on the race, it always depends on the race anywhere from like, you know, 10 to 40 miles. And they're going to be with you a lot, lot more. So the pacer, and, and I think the impact of the pacer is a lot stronger when it comes to the crew stuff, because they can do a lot more for you out on the trail than the crew is going to be doing for you in the moments. And so what I mean by that is like they can navigate for you, which is a very, very important thing, especially like when you you get into the night sections of an unfamiliar course and maybe you're a little bit more tired, right? You can have your pacer navigate for you. You can have your pacer reminding you to eat and drink. You can have your pacer to motivate you. You can have your pacer almost as kind of like a distraction outside of the pain from your body because like I know for me, like I remember at Halloween 100, uh, I was on my last loop and I had Shelby Farrell pace me. And I was like, Shelby, tell me like how you and your husband met. Like, I want the full details. I want all the story. I want like all the details. Like I want, I just tell me about like how, like your love story with your husband, because I was just like, I'm in so much pain and I just want to like focus on the conversation and just kind of go with that. Right. So, um, and, and it was awesome and she did it and it was great. And like, I remember like she just kept like going and, and talking and I just sat there and I was silent and that was like perfect. And I was like, Oh, this is exactly what I need. And, um, it was great. So, um, I always say like, if you're going to choose one or the other, definitely go with pacer for sure. Um, again, not pacers, not always allowed in some races, right? Like, like I mentioned Canyon's hundred K it wasn't allowed for that. Um, I know like run rabbit run. If you're signed up for the hairs, pacers aren't allowed as well. So you want to make sure that, um, and, I would say like, if that's not the case then have them on the crew now, ideally in a situation you want your crew and your pacer together. Um, so, um, or you want them both, I should say. And so that would be a big thing as well. Now, should you have your crew be your pacer, um, in an ideal scenario, I would actually say no. 
And what I mean by that is generally when I do races, I usually like to have at least one person who's crewing, ideally two, and then have like the pacer not worry about crewing at all and just hop in when it needs to be pacing time. And the reason why I like that is because I want the pacer to be as fresh as possible um, for when they're coming out to help me out. Like that is the one thing that I would like the focus of the pacer to be. And I, I encourage anyone to be like, you need them to be fresh. You need them to be fresh. You need them to be mentally sharp. You need them to be ready to go. And uh, you need them just to be their best self. And sometimes like crewing can be a beast, especially like if you're getting in a car and you're driving to this point and you're setting up the stuff. And like, then you need to like worry about problem solving when you get in, like, like there's a bunch of different things that can come into crewing. So to mitigate the chaos, generally I like to say, keep the pacers separate from the crew. It's not always a reality, or I should say it's not always possible to do that. But if I'm just giving the optimal scenario is having people who are designated for crew and then people who are designated for pacer and having the pacer focus on pacing duties and having the crew just focus on crew duties. Um, that's going to be definitely the big thing for sure um, to kind of have in there in an ideal scenario, right? So that's kind of how I would go for it. Um, and now we'll talk about like how many crew people should you have, how many pacers should you have and everything like that. Um, but before we dive into that, I want to talk about how you can find crew or pacer for a race. This is actually a very common question I get is like, how do I find crew or pacer? And listen, I understand, you know, maybe you live in a scenario or live in a location where ultra running just isn't popular, or maybe you don't have a lot of friends who know about ultra running, who, um, are even interested in ultra running. I get it. I used to live in Wisconsin and Wisconsin surprisingly has a very big ultra running community. But at the time when I lived in Wisconsin, um, I didn't know anyone who did ultra running or anything like that. And I felt very, very alone. And I didn't know, um, who I could ask for to be crew or pace or any kind of that stuff as well. And so, um, I'm going to share if like, that's you. And I'm also going to share like, if you know people. So I think if you know people in the ultra running community or who get it, um, I would just ask them and just be like, hey, like, are you down to, to crew or pace me for this kind of race? And just asking those people. Um, and then I'll talk about like what to say and like what to do to like help people to be more open to it because I'm, I think more people are more open to pace than crew because crewing, I mean, it, it's, it's like work pacing though. Obviously like they get to be out on the course. They get to like experience these things. They get to like run miles. They get to have like basically free time on the course, right? Which is super cool. So people are going to be more open to pace you than crew you. Um, but with crewing, there's a, a way you can usually increase your chances for crewing. And I'll kind of talk about that as well. But, um, this same strategy will also apply for, um, you know, how, how you kind of find crew when asking for it, um, when you are also maybe you don't have a pool of people to ask of who they can crew. I don't know why that took me so long to hear that out of my mouth, but, um, with crewing, if you don't know anyone off the top of your head, one of the best ways that I can suggest is, um, sometimes races have specific like Facebook groups or communities or something like that, where they have groups of people like Aravipa. I know that they usually, for a lot of the big races, Aravipa is a local company here. They put on Havelina hundred, Cocodona, Black Canyon, hundred K. Um, so they're a very big race company here in Phoenix. If you're unfamiliar with them. 
but generally they have like Facebook groups for the specific races. And those are ways where like you can post in there and saying, Hey, I'm looking for a crew or pacer. Does anyone know of anyone who'd be able to help or kind of like tag on crew or like anything like that? Right. So like finding those communities for the specific race is going to help a ton. The other thing too, is like try and find different running communities in your specific area. Now I know like sometimes it's easier than others, right? If you live in a place like Colorado, obviously that's one of the running meccas. So there's going to be a lot of people there who probably are interested in ultra running. Whereas like in some scenarios, it might not be as apparent, but I will tell you an experience. Like usually there are running communities, if not ultra communities, maybe road racing communities as well, road running communities. And listen, I don't want to like be here and be like, Oh man, we got to talk to the road runners. Like let's, let's not be, let's not be divisive here. People. Hey, we all love running. We love running. So, um, but like those are great ways to not only find crew or pacer, but even just to find friends in the community who love running. Right. And so that's always something that I su suggest. And like I said before, when I was in Wisconsin, I felt very alone. And then when I left Wisconsin, like it was so funny because like I would meet a bunch of ultra runners listening in from the podcast, like from Wisconsin and everything like that. And it's like, oh wow, there, there were runners here. Like, oh my gosh. So, um, you know, they're out there and finding those communities to find people who would be available to crew and pace for you is going to be a great way to kind of find those kind of people as well. So, um, now if you're asking for pacing and pacing, this is like pacing specifically, and then I'll go into crew is for pacing. Um, always, 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 when you're asking the person, let them know like what your goals are, how fast you're planning to go and how many miles you want them to pace. Um, because this reduces like all the questions that might come up and like makes it more of an easy decision for someone. Right. So like, basically I remember I didn't have a pacer for black Canyon and, um, I, I was still getting ingrained into the running community a lot more. Um, and so at the time I, I didn't have like a pacer off the top of my head. So what I did was I went into one of Aravipa's Facebook groups and I basically said, Hey, um, I would love a pacer at Black Canyon, ideally for the last two sections um, of the race, which would be 26 miles. I'm looking to get a golden ticket. So I'm looking to go really fast and um, I would love someone to pace. And then the big thing is like saying like, Hey, I will pace you in the future for one of your races if you pace me and that's kind of what i was talking about with the crewing thing it's a similar thing um you always want to offer to um to to be the reciprocity of that specific um thing that you're doing whether it's crew or pace right i i think it's an easy thing because like generally people in these communities if they are ultra running they will probably have a race where they need crew or pacer and you not only give you know them the opportunity to do that as well but it also takes something off their plate as well in terms of like finding crew or pacer so like that's a crucial thing that i would say and then obviously you want to follow up on those things as well so um those are the things you mentioned like you'd be super clear on like what your intention is what you want them to do how fast you're planning to go all that kind of stuff and then you'll usually find someone, even if you're asking someone, you know, directly, or if you're just posting in like a group as well. Um, similar thing with crew, right? The similar thing with crew is asking the same thing. Hey, I'm looking for someone to crew me during this. Um, I'm looking to finish at this time. I'm looking to just have X, Y, and Z out there and I will crew you at a future race, right? That's a similar thing. So um, that is generally how you ask for crew or pacer for sure. Now there is one thing that I want to say about crew and pacer on here as well, which can obviously not always apply 
if you're getting crew or pacer from someone you don't necessarily know well before. But this is particularly important for even if, you know, you don't know the person, but especially if you do know the person really, really well. And I'll talk about how you can like vet these things out if you don't know the specific person. And that is, and I always, always stress this to any of my athletes who are thinking about crew or pacer in a race. And that is this. You need to be 100% certain that they are going to follow through on what you need them to do as a crew or pacer. Not 99%, not 98%, not 95%. You need to have 100% trust. Why is that? It's because I've never, well, I don't want to say I've never experienced this, but I have asked people not to crew or pace me in certain scenarios when they've kind of offered or I've denied those things because I always I haven't had like a hundred percent certainty and it's not on the person like I want you just to realize that it's it's not on the person it's not a reflection of them the reason why you want to have a hundred percent certainty and when it that means when it comes to pacer you have a hundred percent certainty that number one they're going to be a mental booster for you out there not a detractor um, you're you're gonna know that like you're not gonna have to be the one taking care of the pacer because I've heard horror stories like that. It's never happened to me, but I've I've heard times like where the pacer is in more rough shape than the runner. And my gosh, like that is something you cannot have happen out there. Like you need to have them stronger than you. Like I'll never forget too, even like when Sally, um, so, um, when I was pacing Sally at Bigfoot uh, 200, I had paced her for 70 miles up to that point. And then there was a really, really gnarly 20-mile section before the last 30 miles that we were going to pace together. And I remember her, she was like saying, she was like, hey, like I want you to not pace me for this section because I want you to get some sleep because I need you to be really, really strong in those like last like, you know, uh, 30 miles. And I was like, and as much as I wanted to be out there and pace her, like I was like, yeah, I understand that. Like, yeah, I know. Like I, I definitely would love to sleep like I think that would be a great you know idea and um, you know she I mean she's had way more experience when it comes to you know running and racing like me and so you know she made that conscious decision to be like hey Joe like you should go and sleep just so you can be as fresh as possible for out there as well so I thought that was like awesome and you know something that I've always thought about it's like you need to have them be fresher and stronger than you in those scenarios so you got to trust that they're going to be able to do it so what I mean by that is like if you have like a 20 mile pacing section like and maybe you're having a pacer and like the farthest that they've ran before is maybe five miles maybe not the best idea right so um just you got to be a hundred percent um, confident. I'll talk about that hundred percent confident thing for the crew thing. You need to be hundred percent confident that they're going to be able to, um, be level-headed with you, that they're going to give you the motivation that you need, that they're going to keep you in the race and not out of the race, which I'll kind of talk about in a little bit too, but you need to be hundred percent certain that they're going to be doing the things. And here is why, if you are even like 95% confident in them, that 5% is going to weigh in your head at times when if you know shit hits the fan when it comes to a race and here's what i mean by that you're kind of like uh you know i've i've never been personally in the scenario however in my head i know even before like when i've had like certain people you know asking a crew or pace like in my head like you kind of get the oh like i'm not 100 percent sure that like you know they might be able to you know be as strong as i need them to be in the climbs or things like that and again it's not it's not on the person it's not being judgmental it's just like you know sometimes there's like i said like if someone only ran five miles in their life before at the longest run, like, and they asked to like pace you for 30 miles, like it's not because you're being a dick. It's because you're, you know, just saying like, Hey, like I, I, I just don't know if this is going to work out. 
And um, I know that I've had it in my head where I've been like, I don't want to have to think about like, oh, how are they feeling? Are they feeling good? Are they feeling bad? Like, cause then like that's mental energy on you that like you need to be spending moving forward and doing what you need to do to finish the race. So if you have a hundred percent trust, that means you don't even have to think about those things. They won't even put your sphere of consciousness. Like think about trust. Like trust is like so deep because like trust is like, you're not second guessing those things. Like you just know they got it down. And so you don't even have to think about those things. So it saves you so much mental energy. If you have a hundred percent trust, like I'll tell you about my, one of my really good friends, Aaron Fleischer, which Aaron, you are the fucking man, bro. I love you so much, but at Havelina hundred. So I knew he was going to do a great job because he had tons of experience doing two hundreds and crewing before. And, um, Man, he he was just one of the best crew guys I've ever had in my life. And so for me, like, I know that I I would not only trust this guy to crew me in a race, I would trust this guy with my life. And so, um, yeah, it, it's so when I know he's on my crew, I don't have to worry about shit. I know he's going to be great. I, like, don't have to worry about it. And he crewed me again at Javelina this year, and he was the man. Um, and so, uh, yeah, like, that's the kind of people that you need. Now you might not have those people off the bat, but like you want to have people that have like the highest amount of confidence out there as well. Now, if it's a person you haven't met before, right? You found them through an online group or something like that. I always, 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 always suggest that you meet with them either through zoom, go on a run with them, get to know them before you actually have them sign up. So Another great friend of mine, Aaron Barber, love you too, man. Um, he was the guy who answered the call when I put into the Era Viper group to pace at Black Canyon. We're really good friends nowadays. I'm, I'm just super grateful for that. But, you know, when he said, yeah, I'm interested in pacing, we actually went on a run together. We went on a run together and I saw he was fast. He was keeping me on pace. Like he was pushing it. Like it was, I was like, oh yeah, like this is the guy. And, um, he just got my trust right there. So if you don't know the person, like ask to, hey, like, do you want to meet over coffee or do you want to go for a run together? If you're pacing, if you're going to have him as pacer, go for a run with them. If you're going to have him as crew, you don't have to go for a run with them. You can pace them. Um, but like, I don't want to say like interview them, but just get to know them, right? Because you want to have that trust factor to be in there. Because again, you don't want that to be in your head. So that is a kind of big thing on that. Now, let's talk about the actual strategies when it comes to pacer and crew. So I'm going to talk about pacer first, just because, like I said before, if you're going to have one or the other, I would I would suggest pacer, and then I'll talk about crew. So with pacer, um, the, the number one most important thing I already covered is you need to 100% be certain that they're going to be doing what you need them to do, right? That they're going to be stronger than you, that they're going to be able to go the distance, that they're going to be able to motivate you in the ways that they need to, which I'll kind of talk about. And uh, you got 100% trust that they're going to be able to do what you need them to do in that moment. And honestly, I would say pacer is much more important for this than crew, um, just because pacer is someone who's out there with you. And, um, I think one of the big things, and this kind of goes into pacer optimization strategies is, uh, know the rules of the pacer, know the rules of the pacer and communicate those rules with the pacer themselves. And what do I mean by that? There are rules when it comes to pacing. Um, some of the most common rules are two of them. Number one is a pacer can't mule you. And what I mean by mule and what they mean by mule is that like they can't carry any of your gear for you. They can be with you, but you have to carry your own gear. So just knowing the rules as is crucial, right? And communicating that with the pacer, that's usually one rule that 
that's out there. Another rule that is in a lot of races is like you can't drop your pacer. So like if you are stronger than your pacer and you want to take off and go faster than them, some races don't allow that. They actually require you to be with your your pacer, which is very, very important um, with rule number one of the trust factor because like if you're like going to be faster than them like and you're going to want to drop them, they might be your responsibility at that point. And at the end of the day, the, the pay, you should be your pacer's responsibility, not vice versa. So um, all, all I have to say, know the rules, read the race guide on pacers, when they can come in, when they can drop, you know, when they can, you know, uh, tag out, like all that kind of stuff. Know the rules when it comes to pacers. So that's like the second most important thing after the trust factor is like knowing the rules. Um, the third thing is like, should you have one or two pacers if a race allows for multiple in an ideal scenario and i know it's not always possible but in an ideal scenario if you can have multiple pacers in a race a hundred percent do that um and javelina 100 my first year i had two pacers um this year at javelina i had one pacer but that was just because at last minute um my other pacer that i was going to have dropped out and so uh, I had to stick with one pacer just because like literally we were less than 12 hours away from the race when I had, when I had found out this, you know, decision and, um, he was the only option I had at the time and I knew he could go for 40 miles. Like I had no doubt about it and I knew he was going to be fresh and he fucking crushed it, which by the way, Nico, kudos to you, brother. Shout out to you, man. You were the fucking, you were also the fucking man. And I love you too, man. Um, so as you can tell, like you, 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 you develop a deep bond with anyone who crew or paces you. Um, and Aaron Fleischer too, same thing. I crewed him and paced him at Cocodona this year and, um, yeah, crewed him for, or paced him for 70 miles, which was wild, but, uh, one of the most rewarding experiences uh, of my life. And so, um, and that, and that's a, a tangent too. A tangent is like, if you want to get better at, um, or if you want to know what takes good pacer and crew, highly suggest that you crew and pace at a race. Like, this is a total side note here. I promise I'll get back to the pacer optimization things. But um, I will say, like, if you want to know what it takes to have good crew and pacer, you should do it too. Because then you can understand what people are kind of going through, like what makes a good crew pacer and everything like that. And even in general, if you're going not to just learn about crew and pacer, it's a great way to learn about ultra running. It's a great way to, like, learn about it because, I mean, yes, the best way to learn about it is by doing it. But here's the reality. When you're at, like, mile 70 or 80 or 90 in an ultra marathon, your brain is not going to be 100 percent however when you're crewing and pacing depending on the race because sometimes crewing can be an absolute beast um when it comes to a race bigfoot 200 that race is, is such a beast to crew oh my gosh um but whereas like javelina 100 is like a walk in the park anywho um you get to see runners from like a more fresh perspective and you get to learn and, and soak in a lot of things but anyways i digress going back to the pacer things as well um you i would say ideally if you could have two pacers in or multiple pacers in a race that would be the most beneficial because if you have multiple pacers that means you're going to have more miles with fresher pacers whereas like if you have like a pacer who's kind of just like taking you through like a lot of periods uh, or a lot of uh, miles like on a specific race, they're going to get fatigued. Like that's just the reality of the beast. Now, in some scenarios, you might only have access to one pacer. Like, and so like I mentioned with Javelina, like I only had access to one pacer. That's totally fine. You just got to make sure that person can go the distance. Um, similar when I paced uh, Sally at Bigfoot, we only had access to me as the pacer. And so I paced her for a hundred miles, which was wild. Um, one of the best experiences of my life for sure though. 
Um, but, um, you know, you need to have that confidence in the person that they can go that distance. So I would say in an ideal scenario, yeah, have multiple pacers if you can, but, um, if you only have one pacer, that's totally fine. Just make sure that they can go the distance. Um, so that's the big thing on that front. Like a Coca Dona this year, I think I'm planning to have like at least four pacers, um, Shout out to Sarah Ostazuski. I know she's she's pacing me this year, and Melissa Ostazuski is going to be crewing me too, which I'm super grateful for. And I have a lot of clients who are coming out to crew, and uh, other people who are I've offered to pace and everything too, which is going to be awesome. But anyways, um, going back into the pacer stuff uh, before I'm getting all over the place here. Um, with a pacer, you want to, whether you have one pacer or two pacers or whatever, you want to be sure to place them at crucial points. And, um, this is really, really important is like, you need to look at your team, whether it is one pacer, whether it is two pacers, and you got to look at like where you can insert people and you want to make sure to place them at crucial points where you know that they're going to do the most uh, benefit to you out there in the race. And so, um, I'll give you an example. I'll give you two examples. I'll give you an example from me, and then I'll give you when I used Crew and Pacer, and then I'll give you an example from when um, I was on the Crew and Pacer thing. So, hey everybody, I want to take a quick break in this episode to talk to you about an awesome, awesome new line of apparel that I partnered with that has just been amazing for my training, because one thing that I get frustrated with when it comes to running gear, especially apparel, is when it doesn't last long. Whether it rips, tears, or just wear away, it just sucks to have to keep buying new stuff over and over again. Plus, doing that isn't sustainable for the planet either. But I recently started trying this gear that lasts long, has a five-year guarantee, is super comfortable, has extremely fun colors, which we know is important, and helps to support clean water programs around the world. The gear is from John G., and you gotta check them out. They make high-performance running apparel such as shorts, tanks, shirts, jackets, and more, all built to explore the world on the run. Not only do they have a five-year guarantee where they'll replace any product that wears away, but their stuff is super comfortable, breathable, and easy to move in. Especially when it's cold and you're bundled up and you need to have a ton of layers on, it still is free-flowing enough to keep you warm and have you moving strong. Plus, 2% of their sales go towards nonprofits working on viable clean water solutions, so it's a way to give back and feel good about where your money is going. They have super bright colors and artwork designed by talented artists all across the world, so you'll stand out on the trail and you'll look great. My favorite product as a recent is the Trail Tight, because let's face it, it's colder out there and we want to have warmer legs to be able to move more efficiently, and the Trail Tight is great because not only is it warm, but it has tons of pockets where you can put in your phone, your keys, your wallet without feeling like it's totally bulky and keeping you down on the run as well. Plus, they look super, super great. So I love the trail tight. So I 100% suggest you try out John D's closing. And if you're looking to test drive it out, you can get 10% off your order by using code EverydayUltra at checkout when you go to johng.com. That's spelled J-A-N-J-I.com or go to the link in the show notes and use code EverydayUltra at checkout to get 10% off your order. And if you're rocking John G on your next adventure, let me know. I'd love to see it out there and hope you give them a shot. Go to johng.com, use code EverydayUltra at checkout to get 10% off your order and look fly and wear gear that actually lasts a long time for your next Ultra. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. And let's get right back into the episode. At Hoveline 100, I know I keep bringing this up, but that that's just been, you know, very recent experiences for me. Hoveline 100 last year, not not 2023, 2022, um, I had two pacers, Austin Horn and Shelby Farrell. So I knew Austin 
is, um, you know, Austin is a great guy and, um, I just knew that I was going to be in a certain point where I was going to be hurting at like mile four. And I kind of almost wanted a little bit more of like a distraction of like conversation. Um, and then loop five, I know I really wanted like some fire that push like that, like, yeah, man, you need to get your shit together and go. And so Austin, uh, he's a, like a very good guy. We have great conversations. I knew I was going to have a good conversation without him out there. And I was like, Austin, like, can you pace me at like loop four? super talented runner too. And yeah, it was great. We just chatted the whole time. We chatted about like podcasts and we chatted about life and we chatted just about everything under the sun, which was super cool. And like, that's exactly what I needed in that moment. And then I play Shelby on the last loop. Cause I knew Shelby was going to like, you know, really, really dig deep and like push me. And she did like, I know I mentioned that story where, you know, I asked her about like how her and her husband met and all that kind of stuff too. But like, what I also didn't mention was that, you know, there were times where like she was running way far ahead, which was perfect. And I like that. And I'll kind of talk about that. But like, and I was like, Hey Shelby, can you like come close to me? And she was like, well, if you wanted me to be close to you, like catch up to me. And that's exactly what I needed. Like, and to this day, like, I mean, that, I was just so grateful for that. Cause I don't think I would have been able to, to, to do that fifth loop as fast as I did without her pushing me. But I knew that I needed that at that point. So I had it in there. So that was like one thing where I knew it was like, oh, you need to place the pacers at the right points. Um, another example is um, Sally McRae at Moab. I know I keep bringing her up, but again, another recent experience. But at Moab, she had four different pacers. It was me, Billy Yang, Sarah Ostaszewski, and Summer Ego. And basically she placed us all at different spots based on like what she needed in those scenarios. So like she placed Sarah at the first pacing spot because, you know, Sally didn't want to race at that point. She just needed like calm collected energy, which Sarah totally has. Like she placed me at the end because for me, I can be much more competitive. I can be much more like, come on, let's go like very hype. And, um, I pacer for the last 70 miles. And that was the energy that I needed to bring to the table. And so you need to like, look and say like, can this person fit into this scenario and, and do what I need them to do if you have multiple pacers in there as well. Or if like, you know, you have a choice to either bring them in earlier or later. That's another thing that you can think about as well. So placing them at crucial points is super, super important. Now, um, the other thing I will say with a pacer, communication is key. The same thing we'll go through with crew too, but pacer, like this is really, really important. Communication is key. And what I mean by that is like, you need to let them know like every in and out of what you need from them when you're out there. You need to let them know what your goals are because if you let your pacer know what the goal is, they can optimize the choices that they make for you to get you closer to that goal. And so as an example, when I was pacing my buddy Aaron at Cocodona, he told me, he was like, I really want to get sub 100 hours on Cocodona. And so I was like, great, that's awesome. So every decision I made at a pacer was to move forward and help us get to that goal. And guess what? He did it. He did it with like minutes to spare too. It was like 99 hours and like 58 minutes or something like that. I don't remember the exact time, but it was like really, really close, but we got it. And, and, and there was a massive PR for him and, um, it was just awesome. But every decision that I made it as a pacer went to that goal. And I knew that's what he wanted. The other thing you need to communicate with your pacer is how you want them to interact with you. And those are things like, do you respond better to tough love or do you respond? better to more like encouraging kind of stuff um do you want them to talk or do you want them to not talk um let them know too and be like hey i might get grumpy here i might get silent but it doesn't mean i'm upset with you it just means i'm going through a lot of things right like those are things you should communicate with the pacer so they don't get the wrong message that um you know you're upset with them or anything like that right like these are things you need to communicate with the pacer 
So they can be fully upfront with it too. You also need to communicate if you want them in front of you or back of you. Um, you want to communicate if you want them like way far ahead or if you want them close. You also need to communicate with them your blind spots. And so what I mean by blind spots is saying like, hey, I might ask to sit down, but like, don't tell me to fucking sit down, right? Like if I say like, hey, I need to sit down, um, tell me not to sit down. One of the funniest things ever, <laughs> funny and also very, very smart was Aaron, when we were going over his pacing strategy, he was like, dude, I'm going to get so creative with how you allow me to take a break. Like I might just say like, Hey, like I need to do X, Y, and Z for some logical reason. But really in the reality, at the end of the day, I'm trying to negotiate getting some like extra rest time. And you need to like, like, tell me and recognize that in the moment and tell me like not to do it. And I thought that was like so wise. I was like, oh my gosh, like that is awesome. And so you think about like how you were acting in your worst parts of a specific race and then communicating with that with your pacer of what you want them to do in that moment um, just so they can get ahead of it. So having all of those things communicated with your pacer is so, so crucial. And doing that like well before the race is super, super huge. So communication is key and communication is key, not only prior to the race, but also during the race as well, right? Like if you want them to go faster, like you can tell them, Hey, can you like kick it up a little bit? If you want them to, you know, maybe stay closer to you, then you say, Hey, can you stay closer to me? Right? Like these are things that you also need to be aware of is like how you communicate with your um, runner during the specific race as well. So that's another thing with pacers, like just having clear communication on those things as well. So communication, incredibly important when it comes to pacing. One more point on the pacer before we move on to the crew tips. And this one's a little bit more nuanced, but I do get this question surprisingly a lot. So I definitely want to address it about pacing. And that is, I get the question, should you have your pacer in front of you or behind you or side to side with you? Now, there are pros and cons to every single option, and I will basically give the pros and cons of each of them, and I'll tell you what I like personally, but just know that like what I like isn't necessarily going to be what would be optimal for you, and just know that you can always change the strategy based on the necessary scenario, and I'll kind of give an example in a little bit. Um, but for me, I always like to have a pacer a little bit ahead of me um, where I kind of have to catch up with them. Um, I like being under pressure of trying to catch up with my pacer because I do know that I like having a pacer side by side with me, but I like the upfront kind of things as well. Now, that's my general kind of default for 100 miles. When I do this 250 mile race in Cocodona, I think it's going to be a lot different. I don't think at the beginning I'm going to like that chasing factor as much. I think I'm probably like more middle to the race is going to like the person a little bit more side by side for me. Um, and I'll kind of explain why in a bit. Um, so just know that like you don't have to like lock in a strategy for every single race. It can depend on the situation and also your goals and what you're trying to do. And so for me, I, I explain that to say like it is a fluid kind of strategy and situation and I'll explain why in a bit. So let's talk about the pros and the cons real quick of having a pacer in front of you. So the biggest pro of having a pacer in front of you um, is that you are pretty much moving on their pace, right? And they are fulfilling the role to pacer in the fullest extent of that they are inherently like setting the pace for you. So if you know that you want to hit a certain pace or a certain time goal, having them in front is a great, great strategy. That's generally why I like it because it generally keeps me moving and it keeps me on their pace. Um, especially because like a lot of times when I race, I do like to go for a specific time. And so that really, really helps. So having them in front, that's a big pro of that another huge pro of having the person in front. And this actually might be 
even better of a pro than just specifically having them keep you on pace. And that is they can navigate for you. And basically you don't even have to worry about like what turns to take, looking out for trailblazes, anything like that, or trail markers, whatever. You just have to follow their feet. And I think that's just so awesome because I always say the more that you can focus more on the physical thing that you need to do, which is like getting out there and race, um, the better. And sometimes when you have the mental you know, thing in your head of like trying to navigate or trying to find out like, did I take the right turn and pulling out your phone and like pulling out the map, like having that to a pacer who's in front of you is perfect because they can have the map on their phone. They can pull it out. They can lead the way. And all you need to do is carry their feet or carry their feet, follow their feet. Don't carry their feet, follow their feet. And then ultimately that will take a mental load off your back. So especially if you're like really bad with navigation, this is a great option to do it. Or if you're on a course that is very um, challengingly marked or is got a lot of like wrong term potential and everything like that, that's a good way to have that on there as well. So it's another good thing to have them in front. And um, I think another great reason to have someone in front as well is it kind of gives you a little bit of push to kind of catch up to them, which to me, that's why I generally like having people in the front because uh, I like to catch up with them a lot more and it like keeps me well on pace, so to say. So those are the pros of having it in back. The cons of having people, or sorry, the pros of having people in the front as your pacer. The cons of having people in the front, um, I would say the biggest con is like they're usually not side by side with you. So if you like that side by side companionship, that can get a little bit diminished, even though if they're right in front of you, that kind of substitutes it. Um, but generally, if you're trying to like kind of catch up to them, they're usually going to be a little further ahead. So there is more risk for splitting up. I shouldn't say like splitting up is in like they're going to ditch you, but like there is more room for kind of that big separation part um, where you, whereas if you really want to pace her to have that side by side companionship, that's one thing to consider as well. The other thing too that I found in my personal experience is like if you want to talk with your pacer, putting them in front is not always the best move because generally when they're speaking, like their body is kind of like covering like the sound a little bit. It's harder to hear them when they are, when you're trying to have a conversation with them and you're talking. I found that it's easier to listen to them when they're in the back or if they're side by side with you. If they're in the front, it's a little harder to have a conversation. So if you're looking for a conversational thing, that's kind of the con of having in the front. And other than that, I think like really those are the two big cons with having people in the front. Now, having people at the back, and I will also consider the back and side by side two in the same thing because generally they're pretty much the same, more or less. Um, but having someone in the back, the big pro on that or side by side is that you get to talk with a person. So if you really want to have a casual conversation with the person out there, like whether to get your mind off the pain and suffering, having them in the back or side by side is a good option to go because you get to do that as well. Um, also to leading to supplementing that, that first point. The second thing is like, if you want to carry your own pace, like if you want to set the pace, then having the person behind you is a great option because then you're setting the pace as well. Um, and sometimes like it can motivate you to know that like they're right behind you and like you have to like keep up. It, that for me doesn't motivate me as much personally, um, but I know for some people it does. So like if that does motivate you, then having the pacer in the back could be a good option as well. 
And yeah, I think those are the two biggest pros of having the pacer in, in the back as well. And I think another big pro is like, if you want to like take in the views, like on the forefront on the trail and like get more of like a wide panoramic view without anyone in front of you, that is obviously, you know, a benefit of having them in the back or kind of side to side as well. So uh, cons of having someone in the back is number one. I mean, it's the same thing with the pro, but it can also be a con. You are setting your own pace. So if you're at a point where you're really hurting and you know that you're going Going, like if you were just to go on your own devices would probably be going a slow pace obviously that could slow down your race potentially um the second thing too is um, navigation now that's pretty much on you unless you have your pacer behind you like kind of calling out hey go left here or hey go straight or anything like that um, but more times than not like you're kind of navigating and you still have to kind of be mindful of like where you're going because even if you veer off a wrong turn the person might go hey hey like come back here and then you have to like stumble back and everything like that so big con is that you will have to navigate probably a lot more with that as well. Um, now I was going to kind of share like a story when someone uses fluid in a race. And again, it goes back to my friend, Sally McRae, um, at Moab, when I paced her the last 70 miles, most of the times when I was pacing her, I was actually like pretty far ahead. And the reason why I did that was like to, to, you know, keep us moving and like have her like come and catch me like as much as possible, just so we can like keep moving fast. But in the last section, I remember she told me, she was like, Hey, like, I, I want you to just, you know, stay by my side and just run my pace and just kind of go into there. And I said, great, that's awesome. And so she wanted to set the pace. She wanted to set, you know, the, the speed for it as well. And that's what we did for pretty much a lot of the last uh, section that we did together. But that's an example of, you know, a professional runner like Sally using, you know, the same pacer. It wasn't even just a different pacer as me in different strategies at different points as well. So just something to keep in mind that you don't have to even keep it fluid, not just for different races, but also in the race as well. All right. So that's all pace things. Now let's go into crew things. So if you have a crew at a race, this is going to be the big thing. Now, a lot of the things with crew are very, very similar with pacer as well, right? You got to make sure you have the trust factor. Like I meant before, you got to make sure to communicate as well. But I think the, the communication goes much deeper when it comes to the crew point. And here is what I suggest to do for anybody. If you have a crew, um, you need to document everything, like document everything that you need the person to do at the given crew stations. Just document it all. Because here's the thing, I'd still always suggest that you have a Zoom call or a in-person meetup or a run or whatever, where you're with all your crew members, kind of briefing them on like what they need to do, like 100%, like that is so, so useful. But here's the reality. Not everyone's going to like take down every single note word for word. Not everyone might take down, like uh, they might miss something or they might misinterpret something, right? I think having the call is great to reinforce those things. And I think at the very minimum, that's what you should be doing. But one of the best things that I've ever gotten when it was when I was crewing uh, Scott Trayer at Western States, he sent me and Aaron who, yes, Aaron, yeah, he also crewed Scott as well as me and Aaron crew and Scott, but he sent me this incredibly thorough email on everything that he needed at every single specific aid station along with if then rules, if this, then give me that, if this, then give me this, if this, and it was just like this extensive document. And it was so perfect because literally like I would go to an aid station, we would pull it up, we would look at what the special 
special instructions were for the aid station. We would look at all the things that we needed to do. And we said, great, let's prep everything. Let's make it ready. And then when he came in, like we had him, I think maximum at an aid station for like two minutes. And like, that was like one or two. The other ones were like 45 seconds to a minute, but like we were in and out efficient, got him in, got him out, got him what he needed. We didn't mess up anything, which is great. And I really hold that to a testament to Scott documenting everything in detail. Like he, he, it was like everything in detail, like even to the point where he was like, fill up as much ice as possible in my ice bandana. Right. And we were filling it as much as possible and it looked kind of ridiculous. And we we're like, this is kind of ridiculous, but that's what he says as much as possible. Let's just put it in there. And I remember like saying like, Hey, like, is this like too much? And he's like, no, it's perfect. And yeah, that's what he meant. He, he meant it by like as much as possible, put it in there, have it in there and ready to go. So I suggest like opening up a Google doc and just writing down everything that you want your crew to do. Um, not just in general, but like at specific aid stations. Now this does take time. This does take effort. I totally understand and get it. And I know you're probably busy like doing a lot of other things, but if you want to minimize the chances of like crew forgetting something or making a mistake, this is going to be a highly, highly beneficial thing that you do to make sure that your crew has everything that they need at every single specific aid station to have it in there as well. So you're going to document not only everything that you need, like from like a general perspective, like saying like, Hey, at every aid station, um, I need you to hand me two soft flasks, one filled with electrolytes one filled with water and you need to give me like you know three waffles um and you know two gels and like whatever right like there's your standard thing but also you get like specific into the aid stations right so let's just say there's a water crossing on the course at mile 70 and you see your crew at mile 72 and you want to change your shoes after that write down I will want to change my shoes. Please be sure to have them ready. Um, I might have blisters, so make sure to have the blister care thing as there as well. Like get as detailed as possible so that you don't have any gray areas on the crew as well. Because what's going to happen is like if you're not clear, like either your crew is going to be confused or they're not going to know, or they're just not even just going to do the thing because it's not listed on there. Um, and again, you could have briefed them in the pre-race call or like whatever you did beforehand. But again, like you want to be able to try and mitigate the risk of any of those things falling through the cracks. So having all those things documented are going to be super, super important. And again, it's going to take time, but I'm telling you like, if you have someone like forget your nutrition out there and you have a long stretch in the aid station and you don't have any nutrition after that, that can be a problem. So like sometimes like taking the extra time to prevent a disaster in the race um, is something that you want to kind of put down as that. So document everything. And even after you document it, I would totally still have a pre-race call with your crew. Um, and here's how I would do it and how I've done it in the past. Um, document everything, have them review it, and then ask for any questions um, on that pre-race call if they need any clarification on anything or if anything's you know confusing or like not clear or any of that nature as well but just making sure that everybody's on the same page um, when it comes to crewing and when I say same page I mean literally because it's written down on the page so that's really the big thing that I would say with the crew as well now uh, just kind of into the logistics of crew how many people do you need on a crew? Um, you know, it's so interesting because when I first did Havelina 100, I think I had like five people on my crew. And that was the first time I'd ever really had crew in a race. And and that's what I thought what it would take. And basically I had each, pe each person kind of like do their own thing. And I even had like reserve people. And what I kind of found for me personally was that it was just like way too much people. And um, not to say that like it was a bad thing, but um, I felt that the like 
I almost felt bad that I was asking people to be there, um, trying to get a certain, you know, taking their whole day out to help me out to basically do a very, very minimal kind of job in that scenario that didn't really require a full person's time on there. So, um, and also too, like, I think it's good to have like one person because, you know, what I kind of found is like, there was like four people, a lot of four people just kind of asking me different things. And like, I kind of got, at least for me, like a little like, oh, like, and I'm trying to be in and out and like, I have four people asking me questions and I'm like, mm, and like, this isn't anything on them. This was on me and just, you know, a, kind of like a thing that I learned through, you know, something what I thought works. And then the next year at Javelina, which is this year, I basically, I mean, I had Aaron, who was my crew member and then like Nicole Bitter helped out and my friend Nico was there too. And then Jordan Battaglia and his uh, mom came as well. So like, I mean, I did end up having a big crew, but I really only had, um, uh, I only like really had Aaron and Nico there. And I know that it would have been fine, like for sure. And so um, I know in the future, like, you know, you really only need one person, ideally two people there with you crewing. Um, for the most part, like one person can get the job done. The reason why I do like two people is because generally what I've just seen from my experience is like the optimal kind of crew strategy is you have like one person who's doing just kind of like the standard stuff, right? Filling up the bottles, giving the stuff, like making sure that. And then you have another person there who can ask you, the runner, and be like, hey, do you need anything else? Because you might come into an aid station and might need something completely different than what you had documented or anything like that. And instead of just like messing up maybe the person who's doing kind of the standard routine, like you can have this other person like get you that extra gel or get you the different kind of food or like, you know, be able to take out the blister kit, right? And so I think having two people is ideal, but at minimum, really all you need is one. Now, before, um, you know, we kind of go into the Cocodona thing, because what you'll see at Cocodona this year is I'm going to have a lot more people on my crew. And that's just because it's a 200 mile race. And there is a lot more people involved in that. And it's multi-day. And like, I don't want to put the stress on just two people to handle those things. So I'll have like people like trade in and out of different places and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I think that's another thing to, to consider is like the length of the event. I think the longer the event, the more people you're going to need on your crew. Um, and the shorter events, probably the least people you need in your crew. Like Javelina this year, I came in with two people for, excuse me, that was disgusting, by the way. Sorry for that. But um, for Black Canyon 100K, I probably should edit that out. But hey, we're keeping it real here. Um, but um, for Javelina, um, or sorry, not Javelina, Black Canyon, I'm all screwed up by this burp, by the way. Um, for Black Canyon 100K, I only had one person with crew, which was my fiance, Lexi, and that was it. Um, that was fine. That totally got me through. And then Aaron Barbered, my friend, other Aaron, I know I'm friends with a lot of Aarons, um, he paced me too, but he didn't crew me. He just, I just wanted him to focus on running. Um, but I got away with one crew member for the 100K. And then Javelina, I had two crew members. And then Cocodona, I think I'm going to have four at this point, um, which is going to be super, super cool. Um, not including the pacers. The pacers, I'm not having crew. I'm just having them pace um so and i have i as of now i have four pacers at cocodona because i want it's a very long event and everything like that so um, i'm just kind of giving minimums on here to have that in there as well so um that's going to be the thing with with crew is you know ideally you know you can have at least one person ideally two and just know the longer the event generally the more people you'll probably need on the crew um and then yeah like these are going to be people, like I mentioned before, that you like fully trust that they're going to do things in the great way uh, possible. Um, so, I mean, really, once you document everything and once you, um, you know, have, you know, the the roster all set for the crew, um, what are some things to have them 
to have the crew do that I always suggest. Um, I always say replenish your hydration or your um, nutrition and nutrition, I shouldn't say, not or. Uh, nutrition and hydration out there. Have them replace that each time. Um, have them ask if you need anything extra. I think that's a big thing too. Um, to taking care of like any blisters or foot care or like anything like that that you might need along the way as well. Um, change of clothes or shoes if you need it. Like those are the big things as well. And then um, I also think like positive encouragement and motivation, right? Because, you know, you're going to be at kind of low points. And I think like having those things um, to say like, hey, like at this point, I'm going to be at low point. Like what can you do to motivate me? Um, I remember Aaron uh, Fleischer. I know we're throwing around Aaron's like crazy now. But Aaron who was crewing me at um, Javelina this year. I came into loop three and I was really, really um, just not in a great space. And um, Aaron had a sign like it was just like a sign that he got off of Amazon and it said, like, always be closing. And he just whipped it out out of nowhere and uh, showed it to me. And like, that was great. Like that got me so excited and had me laughing and just like a good time. So it's like having your crew do like fun things like that to keep you motivated, I think is a very, very good thing as well. Now. Even though you can load all this stuff for your crew to do for you, there is one pro tip that I got from Mika Thews, who is, um, she is one of the best 200 mile female racers out today. She won Bigfoot 200 earlier this year um, and got the course record and she's a beast. And she had a really, really good point on that. She never is overly reliant on crew. And what she meant by that is that, you know, a lot of times when you have crew, you can be so, 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 so excited to, um, you know, to uh, see them at an aid station. You might be so, so excited. But here's the reality. Sometimes maybe they get a flat tire. Maybe they miss a turn. Maybe they miss someone out there, right? Like maybe they they don't make it to the crew stop for whatever reason. And if you are like 100% reliant on them being there and then they're not there for any extraneous circumstances on there... Um, that can lead to like a whole mental kind of freak out thing. So I think like number one, coming with coming to peace to terms to say like, you know, I hope they're going to be there, but like not 100% certainty that they're going to be there and not being overly reliant on them is going to be a huge thing as well. Now, granted, they might have a lot of things that like you might actually need out there and you can wait for them a little bit. But, you know, again, like I've heard stories of people getting flat tires and like all this kind of stuff as well. So just not being overly reliant on them and just knowing, okay, if they're not here, what am I going to do to mitigate this thing? And like, you can even leave drop bags at crew spots too, if you want, just in case. Um, that's a strategy that I've seen people do before in the past. Um, I haven't had to do that at a race yet because like Javelina is, and Javelina Black Canyon are the only two races with crew. And like, I, I haven't seen the need to really have drop bags in those scenarios because I felt like I could have gotten a lot of things out of the aid station that I needed in those races. Um, but, you know, I think having, if for a more complex race where you need a lot more stuff from your crew, um, putting a drop bag at those places just in case could be good insurance in case the crew doesn't come. But like mentally, you also have to like know and just come to terms with, hey, there is a chance that they might not be there and I need to be able to take care of myself if they are not there. So just having that in there is going to be super, super important because I've seen so many runners melt down when they've gone into a, uh, a aid station and their crew's not there and they start freaking out. They're like, I need this and this and like they start to freak out. And um, yeah, it's just, it, it can play a mental toll because then you're just kind of thinking about it the entire time. Like, oh man, fucking crew didn't show up. Like what the hell? Like blah, blah, blah. And then like you get to your crew and then like maybe you're mad at them and you're like hey like what the heck right like and so uh, I've seen this before it's never happened to me 
I've never done this to anyone else either, um, but I've seen this play out at um, races that I have crewed because usually when you go to when you crew for runners, like you generally see the same people over and over again because your runners are probably close together. And I have seen this play out, that exact scenario that I mentioned before um, at a race. And so um, I believe it was Coconut. Yeah, it was Coconut last year where I did see this happen. So um, just something to keep in mind of to not be overly reliant on it. So that's pretty much the strategies for crews. It's pretty simple. It is not that extensive on there. Um, and it's, you know, that's uh, what you need. It, basically, the biggest key to success is document everything and make sure they're well prepared. Um, you do that, that's like nine, 99% of crew success for sure um, in terms of once you actually found the people that you trust out there. So very lastly here, what if you don't have a crew or pacer out there to help you? Um, I always say look at the race registration and see if they have a drop bag strategy available for you. Most races will have a drop bag strategy available for you. Not always, but most of them will have that. And what essentially a drop bag is is i mean exactly what it sounds like it's a bag that you drop <laughs> at an aid station but it has a bunch it has pretty much anything you want in there um and what i always suggest to put in the drop bags if you're going to be utilizing this strategy are a few different things and first and foremost definitely calculate out you know the time between drop bags what's the part of the course like what time of day like all those kind of things as well but some of the things that i would suggest in drop bags and this i'll kind of go for all the drop bags and then um drop bags if you are facing a certain situation. So for every drop bag, what I always suggest to have in there is always having in any nutrition that you need that's not going to be at the aid station, right? So if you like a specific brand of gels, if you like, you know, specific food that, excuse me, they don't have an at an aid station, putting those in your drop bags is an absolute must for sure. So you can rely on those being there to have a nutrition source that you can uh, take on to you um, to the next drop bag station. So that's that's the first thing that I have in there. Um, the second thing that I always suggest to put in each drop bag is an extra pair of socks and um, a first aid kit because you don't know if your feet are going to get messed up or anything like that. Like God forbid something happens or maybe you just want to change your socks or who knows. But I always suggest having a pair of socks in all of them just in case something goes wrong with the feet as well. Um, and so the next question and naturally after that is like, well, should I have another pair of shoes? I don't think so. I, I don't think so. The only time I would see a benefit of having a pair of shoes in there, and I did this in my first 100 miler, I did have a drop bag with a pair of shoes in it, but I knew it was because there was a water crossing coming right after the aid station, and I knew I was going to want to change my feet, uh, shoes into uh, dry shoes. Um, so that's a thing to look on with the shoes is like, if you're looking at the course and you know you want to like maybe change into road shoes on like a road section or you want to change into trail shoes on a trail section or if you know it's going to be a water crossing and you want to change out your shoes to something dry um, or if it's raining and you know the rain's going to clear up later in the day and you want just dry shoes, that's where putting shoes in the drop bag is, an, I would say, a must at that point. And um, But, you know, given if you're not too privy on changing shoes or if, you know, the course conditions don't call for it. I don't think it's a necessary thing by any means. So just know that like that is something that, you know, to keep in mind when um, whether or not you should put shoes in the drop bag. But I think regardless, you should have a change of socks and a first aid kit that can handle blister stuff just in case you need to go through and take care of your feet because, you know, feet issues can be a whole nother thing. And like we'll do a podcast on foot care and everything like that, too. But yeah, like you don't. You want to take care of that foot stuff as soon as possible. Um, the other thing in all of your drop bags to have as well, um, I 
always, 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 always suggest um, to have like something motivational in there, right? So like whether it's like a note you write yourself or like a picture of someone or I don't know, like something that you can pull out of a drop bag that can be super, super helpful for you to like kind of, you know, kick you in the butt and kind of keep it out there. Um, that's like a really, really good strategy to have. So whether it's a quote that you like that you write down like on a piece of paper or anything like that or a picture of a loved one, like all those things can be super, super useful to have in the drop bag that can really, really help you even if you don't have crew or pacer out there for sure. Now, some other things that you don't have to put in every drop bag, but things I would suggest based on course conditions, timing, and everything like that. If you are getting a drop bag before going into a night section or a cold section or a section with high altitude or anything like that, having warm clothes is going to be super, super crucial in there. Um, and that's just because I've seen way too many people DNF races because they did not have the right gear when the sun went down and they got too cold out there. And, you know, they say like, oh, I didn't have crew out there. But the reality is if you have a drop bag, you can have that that cold weather gear in there to be able to take with you when the sun goes down and it gets colder at night because even in the summer sometimes depending on where you're at it can get chilly and the one thing to note is that you know when you're running all day you do get very sweaty and even if it is only like 50 degrees out at night like your body's like jacked up especially in a hundred miler and now you're soaking wet from the sweat all day what actually happens is i've I've seen cases of people go hypothermic um, because like the body's already screwed up and you're already wet from like all the sweat all day and you're not changing the clothes. There is a chance you can go hypothermic. So having a change of clothes is very, very crucial to have in a drop bag, especially at parts where it's going to be colder or if, um, you know, you are going into a night section, right? Or anything like that. So I think that's a great, great thing to have in there as well. Um, the other thing that you can also put in there is like any chargers or like charging banks if like you need that, because especially if you are, you know, on a course that requires a lot of navigation, you might be using your phone a lot. So like having like a charging bank could be really, really useful in there for sure. Um, oh, I also think a must have, this is all of them, is extra headlamp for sure. Oh my gosh. Or at least extra batteries because, you know, gosh forbid the head, like I've had a time where I've had like fresh batteries and I put it in a headlamp and that shit does not work. And you're like, why isn't this working? Like what the heck? And I am so glad that I had another headlamp with me, uh, in a drop bag when this happened, this was at Zion 100, um, where my headlamp just crapped out and I had an extra headlamp in my bag at the aid station. Thank God the, the headlamp crapped out like right before it went dark. And, um, as it was going dark, um, I had the, um, uh, the extra headlamp and I took that and it got me to the finish line. And then I proceeded to leave the headlamp at the finish line when I left cause I was so delirious. So, um, that headlamp is forever a piece of, uh, Zion hundred. So yeah, I don't know. You might have you might have my headlamp if you're listening to this. If you found it in the, in the lost and found, but anywho, um, <laughs> uh, having an extra headlamp in there is an absolute must, and I can't believe that I'm just missing that now and just putting that in the episode here. But having it in there is going to be great as well. Now, a tip for packing your drop bag is when you are packing it, make sure to lay everything out and making sure with 100% certainty that that thing that you have laid out is going in the drop bag because so many times, so many times um, have I seen and, you know, it's very, very common to be in a rush and kind of stuff in the drop bag and everything like that and gosh, like it can be easy to forget something in there or like you take it out and like forget to put it back in and then you go to the drop bag and it's not there and you're like, what the heck? Um, putting it all in there is great. And then I also suggest knowing exactly where everything is when you're putting it in the bag because if you just shove it in there um, and granted, like for me, like when I'm like packing for like vacation or anything like that, like I usually or 
you know, I, I would just shove things in a backpack, everything like that. But when you're in a race, that is chaotic because um, you, you're not going to be able to find out where the thing is. You might be like ripping out everything. You're like, where the heck is this thing? And it's really just buried in like a pocket down below. And then you might just say, oh, I didn't put it in there, but really it was just buried underneath there. Um, and also too, it saves you that mental energy of trying to find the thing. So, um, that's why I usually like to like have like backpacks as drop bags because like you get to like put everything like in specific pockets to say like, okay, like my nutrition is in the big pocket and in the small pocket, I have my anti-chafe cream and like all that kind of stuff in there as well. And like, you know exactly where things are, but if you do have like just like a drawstring bag or like a regular bag that just kind of has one thing, what I would suggest is like having Ziploc bags and like putting each thing that you need in a given category in that bag. And then that way you can like have everything in bags and then just be like, Oh, okay. Like this is the nutrition bag. This is the hydration bag. This is the um, bag with, you know, blister cream, like whatever. Right. So um, just getting as organized as possible. Cause again, you want to take the thinking out of it as much as possible so you can focus that mental energy on getting the dang thing done when you're out there in a race. So just something to think about when you're organizing your drop bag is knowing exactly where everything's at so you're not second guessing when you are getting into the aid station with your drop bags as well. Um, the last thing I will say with the drop bag is try and make it very distinctive relative to the other drop bags because what's going to happen is when you get into the aid station, volunteer is going to ask, hey, do you have a drop bag? Um, either they will get it for you or... Like you'll have to get it. But regardless, having a distinguishable drop bag is going to be helpful because if you're the one to get it, you're going to be able to go ahead and see it and be like, there it is and grab it and go. Um, and if it's a volunteer, you can tell them, hey, it's a drop bag that's tie dye colored and super bright. Like you should be able to pick it out and you know, there it is as well. Right. So um, it mitigates that time that you get the drop bag in hand, whether you're finding it yourself or getting it on someone else. So you have that distinction on there and that can be, you know, a crazy color that can be, you know, something that you put on the bag that can be like a logo, an emblem, like finding something that's distinctive is going to be huge. Like having just like a black backpack, probably a bad idea. Um, so like for me, like I remember one time, like, uh, for one of my drop bags, like I had like this bright orange drop bag with like this, like, uh, with, and I put like green duct tape and I like, like, you know, basically wrapped it in duct tape. And I just said orange bag with green duct tape wrapped around it. And that's so specific. And I remember like my, the volunteer at the aid station was like, Oh, I found it right away. And that was because I made it as distinctive as possible so that, you know, the volunteer can find it as soon as possible and not kind of just rummage through anything on that. So that's just another pro tip there as well. All right, everybody, that is it. That is your crew pacer and drop book playbook for your next ultra. Let me know if this was helpful. If you do have any other questions about crew or pace or anything like that, um, always feel free to reach out to me on Instagram, Joe Corsione uh, on Instagram as well. Um, also too, like with my athletes, I always like to go over crew and pace strategies for those who I coach. Um, right now I do have a wait list for coaching as I'm completely full, but if you would like me to coach you for your next ultra, um, feel free to shoot me an email at everydayultrapodcast at gmail.com and I will be more than happy to help um, you with your uh, ultra strategy, whether it's your crew strategy, nutrition strategy, training program, anything like that. I'm always happy to help. Right now I'm on a wait list, but I will put you on a first come, first serve wait list if you do reach out and I'll help you crush your next ultra and put together your crew and producer plan. You got that. No worries at all. And 
if you do have any questions in the meantime, always feel free to reach out and I'll be happy to help my friends. And yeah, there's going to be a lot more episodes coming out about a lot of educational deep dive stuff like this episode. I know I've been getting tons of requests about, you know, these kind of episodes and diving in and looking into frequently asked questions about ultra running and coming with the most useful and actionable insights. So if there's any topic that, you know, you would like me to do an episode on, again, please reach out to me too, um, either on Instagram at Joe Corsium or email at everydayultrapodcast at gmail.com. And I will be more than happy to record an episode of a topic that people want to hear. But until then, my friends, get your crew, get your pacers, get them all ready to go and rock and roll for your next ultra. And uh, trust me, you'll be better off doing so if you have that. And if you don't have a crew or pacer, no worries. You still got this in the bag. You're still going to be rock and rolling. You still got this in the, not just the bag, but the drop bag. Yeah. You liked what I did there. So I think that bad joke is my, my, my sign to end this podcast now and uh, let you totally roll your eyes and just be like, that was terrible, Joe. But anyways, my friends, keep training, keep grinding, keep up the amazing work out there. And remember my friends, be better endurance athletes every day. And we'll talk real soon. Take care.